Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Leah and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Dr. Leah Leach. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we're talking about a gal who created the framework for comedic sitcoms, opened the door for countless comedians, ran her own TV studio, and made us laugh from the candy factory foibles to selling us Vitamina Vegemin. Today we're talking about the life and legacy of your gal, Lucille Ball. Vitamina Vegemin? I mean, like, I'm already laughing. I watched that segment the other day and it just makes me giggle. And now every time you say it. It's so tasty too. Yeah, it's, oh my gosh, it's so cute. Okay, we're already laughing, guys. (laughs) Because it's going to be this whole segment that we're doing is all, you know, oh, yeah. it's going to be either laughter or tears. Oh, yeah. It feels like, you know, that's where it that's, is. This, that's <laughs> where it's at for the next three shows. Mm-hmm. So buckle up. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you know before the show? I actually did know Lucille Ball before the show. Yay. Um, I, Yay! I know, right? <laughs> Usually we cover names that I don't quite know, and I'm like, ah, I have to come up with a creative way to say I'd never heard of her, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you do it well every time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but thankfully, Lucille Ball is actually a household name, um, whether you're into comedy or not. And I knew about her, of course, because of her TV show, I Love Lucy. And I also knew her by her I Love Lucy segment, which was in the movie Pretty Woman, which is admittedly one of my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> and I did know some things about her because of her doorstep that's still on Paramount Pictures studio lot, which I visited in 2013. And they told us a little bit about Lucy and her life on the studio, which I will get to tell you guys more about that later in this episode. Ooh, sweet. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fun. All right. You know how I said in the prologue that I have more uh, knowledge of Lucio Ball than your average bear? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take that back. I really am. Because... I there is a lot more to Lucy and just going through this research for the episode I think that my starter knowledge was like a scratch of the surface I really do I mean I knew she was hardworking I knew she was a hardworking actress uh, but now I realize that that was a severe understatement <laughs> hmm. uh, I also knew that she fought for Desi to be on I Love Lucy I know that they created the main framework for situation comedy TV. And I knew the Star Trek story, which I always love the Star Trek story. (laughs) But I think overall growing up and watching I Love Lucy reruns, I mean, I felt like I knew her. I certainly connected with her uh, because I don't mind being the kooky wife um, in my own little family dynamic. I also, you know, I have fun and make my own little schemes and ideas. I also have crazy facial expressions. And for many years, I too had fake red hair. <laughs> I, yeah, you're basically Lucille Ball. I, I, I now see it. I would yeah. want to be. I'm, I'm an homage. An homage. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't think I'm alone. You know, if if those things, you know, they don't all have to to line up to be Lucy for everybody. But I think many of us felt like we we know Lucy. 
But like what I learned doing our research is uh, there's a lot more to her story. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited to dig into it. Are you excited oh, to yes, dig in? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Sweet. Then let's do it. Where did Lucy grow up? Lucy was born as Lucille Desiree Ball, and she was born in Jamestown, New York. Her parents were Henry Durrell Ball and Desiree or Dee Dee Evelyn Ball. Um, her family lived in Michigan for a time, and she sometimes claimed that she was born in Butte, Montana, where her grandparents had lived. Um, she said that because um, her father had moved the family around to Montana and um, different different places all around the U.S. because he worked for the Bell Telephone Company, and he was frequently transferred all over the place. Now, when Lucille was three years old, her father, who was only 27 years old at the, at the time, died of typhoid fever while her mother, Dee Dee, was pregnant with her second child, Frederick. Lucille recalled very, very little from the day her father died, but she remembered a bird getting trapped in the house, and then it was recorded that she was actually scared of birds for a while after that. Oh, gotcha. The two events kind of merged together. Yeah. yeah. So after Lucille's father died, her mother returned to New York. Um, Lucille and her brother, Fred, were raised by their mother and maternal grandparents. Then four years after Henry Ball's death, Dee Dee married Edward Peterson. While her mother and stepfather looked for work in another city, Lucille's stepfather's parents cared for both her brother and herself. So their step-grandparents were... They were Swedish and they were very spiritual and very um, puritanical and they banished all mirrors from the house except for one over the bathroom. It is said in a different in a source that when Lucille caught and was caught admiring herself in it, she was very chastised for being vain. Um, and this actually impacted her severely through her life. Uh-huh. But it's almost maybe kind of foreshadowing. She's I wouldn't say that she was being vain by any stretch of the ma- the imagination, but she definitely was examining, right. you know, she she knew where she was headed almost in a way. Yeah, exactly. So Lucille's stepfather was a Shriner, um, and his organization needed female entertainers for the chorus line of their next show. He encouraged the twelve year old Lucille to audition. While Lucille was on stage, she realized performing was a great way to gain praise and recognition. Her appetite for recognition had been awakened at an early age then. And in 1927, her family suffered misfortune. Their house and their furnishings were all lost to settle a financial judgment after a neighborhood boy was accidentally shot and paralyzed. The family then moved into a small apartment in Jamestown. Lucille determined at an early age that she was going to become an actress, and she left high school at the age of 15 to enroll in a drama school in New York City. Her early attempts to find a place in theater was all met with denials, so instead she took a job as a model under the name of Diane Belmont. She was moderately successful as a model, enough to get around, and she was on a poster in which brought her attention from the Hollywood studios and won her spots in a few B-level movies. Do you want to tell us more about that, Leah? Yeah, so I dug into her movie work. 
And in the early 1930s, Lucille moved to Hollywood, and the girl was hungry. Now, in my past life of filmmaking, I did a lot of looking at IMDb listings of actors and actresses while casting. And kind of over time, you develop this intuition into reading between Mm. the lines of looking at resumes. So Lucille Ball's first film uh, is The Bowery in 1933, and it is an uncredited role. Oh, wow. 24 more uncredited (gasps) roles follow that. Exactly. Now, most of her roles had the word girl in it somewhere, like chorus girl, college girl, hat check girl. But girl was in 14 films in 1934 alone. So I see that as hungry, hungry to make it. Basically, if I had my filmmaker hat on, I would cast her because that's somebody you want on your project, right? (laughs) So she started getting parts where her character actually got a name. So yay, yay, awesome. Uh, She played just about every type of character. She tried to find her spot. She would dance, she would sing, she would be the love interest, she would do high drama, she would do high comedy. Basically, she was the gal that you'd see a lot when you went to the movies, but you didn't necessarily know her name. So she did get the unofficial official claim to fame and was called the queen of the bee pitchers for a while. <laughs> queen bee. <laughs> so yes, it's still, I guess it's a claim to fame. It's still something, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so saying that she worked really hard to be a breakout actress is an oh, understatement. Yeah. She was in 65 movies before she started to feel that her career was stagnant in movies and film at that time was for glamour girls and the rugged guys. And she didn't feel like she was a glamour Aww. girl. I know. She did meet a very rugged guy, she didn't did. she? She did. In 1940, Lucille met the Cuban-born band leader Desi Arnaz. And they were filming the Rogers and Hart stage hit Too Many Girls. When they met again on the second day, the two connected immediately, and then they eloped in that year. And although Desi was drafted into the army in 1942, he did end up being classified for limited service due to a knee injury, so he did not stay very long. As a result, Desi stayed in Los Angeles, organizing and performing USO shows for wounded GIs being brought back to the Pacific. So he got to stay being a band leader. He's got to still do his music. Um, So Desi spent many years on tour with his band while Lucille pursued her acting career. They were happy, but it was difficult to stay in touch. A marriage split by distance and touring and fame can put really a strain on anybody. But Lucille had a plan for that. Yes, she did. But first, to get into that plan, Desi had an idea. Now, according to Biography.com, it was Desi who pushed Lucy into trying radio. So Lucy landed a leading role on the show My Favorite Husband. The show would not only lay the groundwork for creating the character of Lucy Ricardo, but it also got a powerhouse team together. So My Favorite Husband was a CBS radio show. It was a hit, and it ran for 124 episodes. Wow. The show's tagline was adorable. It was two people who live together and like it. Aww. <laughs> 
Isn't want, that cute? It's very uh, blunt. Yeah, I want that to be my future um, my future marriages tag tagline. We live together and we like it. Right, there you go. <laughs> we are two people that live together and like it. Yeah. Yes, I think th- I like it. That, that's a fantastic <laughs> thing. So in the radio show, the wife would have a zany idea and get into trouble. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they were even joined later by another couple, Rudolph and Iris. The radio show was actually taped in front of a live studio audience and this was new to Lucy because she came from the film world but she found that she thrived because of their energy so now CBS approached Lucy to make the show for television and Lucy had one condition the role of her husband would be played by Desi and that would get the two of them to be able to spend some time together but the network didn't like this though boo network (laughs) they said no one would believe she was married to a band leader, to which she would say, but I am married to a band leader. (laughs) (laughs) So Lucy and Desi, to convince them, they went on the road with a vaudeville act in major cities, and the crowds loved them. They won over the studio, and Desi was cast as Ricky Ricardo. Yay! Now, Rudolph and Iris's characters were changed to Fred and Ethel Mertz. A recasting happened because there was role and uh, conflicts with contracts that were out there, but it introduced the world to William Frawling and Vivian Vance. Now, the writers, Jess Oppenheimer, Bob Carroll Jr., and Madeline Pugh Davis, they stayed from the transition from radio to film. So it was the same writers, which I love. Yeah, that so is So awesome. Lucy and Desi actually had more conditions for CBS. They wanted to film the show in Los Angeles. At the time, most TV was filmed in New York. They also wanted to use film instead of kinetoscope. Now, film was more expensive, so Lucy and Desi took a pay cut. However, they negotiated that they would have full ownership rights of the program. This created Desi Lu Productions. Desi Lu is a combination of their names, and it's also their ranch in Los Angeles. And they got the idea from Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, who called their estate Pickfair. By combining their names. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that cute? So I Love Lucy's first show aired in 1951. They used three cameras. They filmed it in front of a live studio audience. And they did a warm-up show. Now, all of this was brand new to television. But that format still exists today for many TV shows. And the show was a success. (laughs) In fact, it was the highest rated show on television. When its two-year contract was up, it was renewed for eight million dollars wow that was a lot of money then that's a lot of money now oh my gosh (laughs) right exactly so i love lucy ran for six years and from vitamin benjamin to grape stomping the show captivated audiences now because the show was actually filmed it was able to do reruns and be syndicated around the world. It didn't matter the language of the show was subtitled or dubbed. The comedy was universal. Aww. Now, during the show's run, the Ricardo's middle class life echoed very much of what the TV watching public was going through. They covered the baby boom, moving to the suburbs, the fascination with celebrity, which we still have. And Lucy's character embodied perseverance. Okay, so yeah, she was a character who was determined to get into all of Ricky's performances, but that drive and that ambition still transcended. We kind of related to that. Oh, yeah, totally. 
So Lucy and Ricky showed the world a relationship that was complicated, that was kooky, that was adventurous. But no matter how much trouble Lucy got into, Ricky would always love her. And the show balanced that heart and that laughter. But you were looking at behind the scenes. Now, what was happening behind the scenes? Well, um, behind the scenes, Lucy, uh, I mean Lucille, actually was... In the baby booner phase, as in she was getting pregnant as well. Um, on July 17th, 1951, Lucy Desiree Arnaz was born, which is, of course, Lucio Balls and Desi Arnaz's daughter. A year mm-hmm. and a half later, Lucille gave birth to her second child, Desi Arnaz Jr. Now, Lucille was just turning around 40 years old when she had Lucy, and of course, just turning 41, 42 when she had Desi. Now, she said in an interview that she was not told that it was a risk because of her age to have these children until after the births were successful. Ah, nobody wanted to tell her. No, nobody (laughs) wanted to tell her that she should be worried. And then after she had Desi, they're like, oh, this is so incredible. She had a C-section and everything. And she was like, I had had no idea. She was so cute in this interview. She's like, I had no idea it was a risk. I just thought I was just doing what you're supposed to do. And it's just an everyday, like... You know, having babies, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, before Desi was born, I Love Lucy was a solid ratings hit. And Lucille and Desi wrote the pregnancy into the, the show. It is also said that Lucille's necessary and planned C-section in real life was scheduled for the same date that the television character gave birth. So it was all That's dedication. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was all very intertwined. Like, Lucy and Lucille, like, you want to call her Lucy, but she's Lucille, and then the births are almost the same. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so... It's so amazing and also confusing, like how their right. characters and how their real lives are intertwined, and yet they're totally, They're very intertwined, yeah. They're very intertwined, but they're very separate, so it's... It's been interesting to to peel it apart. Right. Now, several demands were made by CBS insisting that a pregnant woman could not be shown on television, nor could the word pregnant be spoken on air. And now, after approval from several religious figures, the network allowed the pregnancy storyline, but insisted that the word expecting be used instead of pregnant, which Desi Arnaz kind of, you know, put a little flair to and kind of touched mm-hmm. the line a little bit. He was like, he was expecting, and then, you know, he would mispronounce things so that it would still slide. It, it was pretty funny actually it was cute it was cute yeah (laughs) now the episode of the delivery aired on the evening of january 19th 1953 it had 44 million viewers watching lucy ricardo welcome little ricky while in real life lucille delivered her second child desi Now, the birth made the cover of the first issue of the TV Guide for the week of April the 3rd through the 9th in 1953. Now, get this. That episode aired January 19th. On January 20th, 1953, was Ike's first inauguration. And everybody, you would think, everybody would be talking about the inauguration, new president, this is great. No. No. They were talking about Lucille Ball and baby Ricky. 
they they were talking about mm-hmm. I love Lucy. <laughs> you know, everybody <laughs> was talking about Lucy and Ricky and the real birth and the the on television birth, and it all felt so real because they were within days of each other, and it was just. That's everybody could talk about. That's the only thing people wanted right. to talk about. And that is incredible. It overshadowed the president. It overshadowed yeah. the president. <laughs> you know, President Obama gets elected. President Trump gets elected. And people are talking about a TV show instead. Like, that's unheard right. of. <laughs> like, how? It's quite amazing. <laughs> Very amazing. I don't. She overshadowed even real life. Things got a little bit weird uh, still in the 40s and 50s, changing gears a little oh, bit. Yeah. Always with comedy, there's there's the light and the dark. Right. Well, in the 1940s and 50s, Senator Joseph McCarthy was putting most of Hollywood on trial and seeking out communists. Now, many writers and actors were blacklisted. Charlie Chaplin, while on vacation abroad, was told that if he came back to America, he would be arrested. So he stayed away. It was a time of fear, and people were starting to lose their careers over it. Now, Lucille Ball was on the number one show on television, and she was called very quietly to the House on Un-American Activities Committee in 1953. Lucy admitted that 17 years earlier, she did register to vote as a communist. So you explained that she did it to make her grandfather happy. He was not only sick, but he was pro-workers' rights his whole life. And many people who registered as communists were mostly workers' rights-focused. That's kind of the label that it came under. The committee forgave her, and she asked them to keep the matter private. But a few days later, the word got out. And everybody got really, really nervous. The committee forgave her, but with the public. And actually, the fate of the show, I Love Lucy, hung in the balance of the people's reactions to this Red Scare news. So the first show back after the news broke, Desi took the stage for the warm-up. And he addressed the live studio audience about how he and Lucy were not communists and hated everything that they stood for. He introduced William Frawley and Vivian Vance. And then he said, quote, I want you to meet my favorite wife, my favorite redhead. In fact, that's the only thing read about her. And even that is not legitimate. Lucille Ball. (laughs) (laughs) There was cheers. There was applause. It was immediate. The audience did not care about the Red Scare. They just loved Lucy. It was so (laughs) sweet. And I watched a clip of him introducing her like that. And I, I, oh my gosh, it was so sweet because you could tell there was a heaviness. He was scared. He was scared. Yeah. You could tell his voice Mm -hmm. was kind of like, oh crap. Oh crap. Mm -hmm. But he was just like, no, this is how it is. I'm going to lay it all out there. And there was like, there was no. There was no tricks. There was no like, oh, let right. me sugarcoat this. We're going to be real and honest oh, right yeah. now. And then you tell me how you feel exactly. about it. <laughs> exactly. And he was like, and this is how I feel about it. She's still, this is still who she is. So here you are. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yay. <laughs> I know. It was so, it's such a, oh, it was a really cool clip to watch. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Now, as we mentioned earlier, when Lucille first agreed to the show I Love Lucy, she insisted that her real husband, Desi, play her fictional husband. Now, the studio almost declined it, but eventually they agreed, of course, like we just said. 
Now, Lucille insisted on this because Desi was on the road a lot with his music, and Lucille was always working, so their marriage seemed to be in a rocky place. Um, So she was hoping by them being together, it would save their marriage, which, of course, did help at first. I mean, look how much they did together. I Love Lucy. They did the Lucy and Desi show. They did so much. They, They... I mean, Desi Lou Productions. I mean, they did all of the stuff. But mm-hmm. Lucille... They were both in the same city. They were both in the same city. <laughs> they had two children. I mean, and in I Love Lucy, their marriage seems so, so perfect. But at home, right. it wasn't that way. Lucille yeah. herself said the happy marriage that the viewers saw on screen was nothing like it was at home. Desi was a womanizer, and their love dwindled over time. Lucille said in an interview that she just didn't understand it. They had it all, and it didn't make sense. She said that she probably would never understand it. On May 4th, 1960, just two months after filming the final episode of the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, the couple got divorced. Now, until Desi's death in 1986, they remained friends, and they often spoke very fondly of each other. They, they, it took some time for them to get there, but they became friends again. Um, right. But, of course, they were divorced, and her real-life divorce indirectly found a way into her later television series, because she was always cast as an unmarried woman. So, again, Lucille aka lucy they're kind of like one and the same and yet completely separate like you can right you can totally see how they're uh the balance like i it's hard to imagine because i feel like you'd you'd almost go home and be confused unless you had a really oh, solid right. grounding like what's real especially if your real life marriage is falling apart but your on screen one isn't so it's like, well, right, exactly. That would I feel like that would be very confusing, but I, it seems like she handled it well, honestly. Right. I mean, I can always uh, think that uh, if they were in the middle of a fight, one of them would wish that they had a writer's room to be like, "What do I say next?" Oh yeah, you know what totally. I mean? Like, yeah, that sort of thing where it's like, wait, we can work this out so well when it's scripted by other people. Why can't we figure this out for ourselves? Right. Because scripting is not the way real life works right. real life is it's complicated and it's ugly and it's got ups and downs Absolutely. yeah yeah <laughs> well after the divorce uh in 1962 lucy did get her eyes on a comeback she mm-hmm. wanted to come back to television in a big way so according to the documentary finding lucy which aired on pbs the network wasn't super excited about her coming back now the lucy show had the right foundation to work though it had vivian vance it had two of the original writers from the radio show and from i love lucy and the premise was after the death of her husband lucy carmichael and her friend the recently divorced vivian bailey move into a house together with their children so vivian vance also wasn't thrilled about returning she was really tired of being called ethel (laughs) and she hated her wardrobe on i love lucy she thought it was too frumpy (laughs) and not stylish oopsies (laughs) so there was a name change and there was a wardrobe upgrade now i did read one source that says that uh vivian's character was the first divorcee on television oh wow and i also find it interesting and yet 
maybe kind of ironic that it was Lucy, you know, Lucille Ball in real life who was divorced. Um, and then the character of Fred Mertz, who were kind of, you know, associating with Vivian. Well, he was the oldest of the original group. Wouldn't that make sense that he was the deceased one? Right. So, like, I always felt like they should have been flip-flop. But then again, the show is called The Lucy Show. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's by Desilu. So, you know, they, they get to make those final decisions. Um, now, the show was on air for six years. It started in black and white, and it ended in color. Wow. And the last few years of the show, well, they featured an upstart comedian. Carol Burnett was Ooh. actually on the show playing Lucy's roommate. <laughs> Would you look at this? So Lucille was taking her comeback very seriously. And after the Lucy show ended, she starred alongside Henry Fonda in the film Yours, Mine, and Ours, and then immediately started a new show called Here's Lucy, which we will talk about more in a second. Now, but in the meantime, there was a lot that was happening at Desilu, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. So, after Lucille and Desi divorced, Lucille served as president and chief executive officer of Desi Lu, while at the same time starring in her own weekly series. So, in November of 1962, Desi resigned as president when his holdings in the company were bought out by Lucille. So, she was now president. This made her the first woman to head a major television studio and one of the most powerful women in Hollywood at the time. Now, I do emphasize television because there are some sources that say that she was the first woman who ran a film studio in general. But if you've listened to our Alice Guy Blaché episode, you know that this is not true. Um, Alice Guy Blaschet owned her own film studio, own production studio before Hollywood. Um, and if you would like to yep. know more about that, that is our very, very first baby episode, um, season one, episode one. But yes, Lucille, um, as far as as far as I can tell, Lucille was the first television studio owner um, that was right. female. So that's pretty cool. It's still very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And television was brand new. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, 62, it was was still on the brink. Like, you know what I mean? It was catching on. A lot of people were watching it, but it was still very, very risky. Oh, yeah. Uh, Films were far more established by that point. TV was still, "Mm, I hope this is going to work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Lucille founded Desilu Sales Incorporated, which later became part of the CBS television distribution. So during Lucille's time as sole owner, Desi Lu developed popular series like Mission Impossible, Mannix, The Untouchable, and of course Star Trek, which Leah's going to touch on in a minute. Um, but Lucille had become friends with Cara Burnett, like we just said, and she offered her a sitcom, but she declined it in favor of starting her own show called The Carol Burnett Show, which was a weekly variety show, and that lasted 11 seasons. Now, they remained close friends and even guest starred on each other's series. That's gals helping gals right there. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yes, those two were so cute together, too. Yeah, totally. I love them. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you want to hear the Star Trek story? Oh my gosh, because please tell you me the Star Trek. This. You need this is like your pro I'm... story. You tell this like <laughs> you probably have this memorized in your sleep, but you must tell I us. I know. 
I go to a Star Trek convention every year that is called Starbase Indie, and any opportunity that I can to be like, you know, we have Lucille Ball to also thank for Star oh, Trek, yeah. and they're like, wow. But I also, well, let me like, you. Mission Impossible <laughs> is on her list of credits, and yes. I would like to give a great shout out to Mission Impossible, because it's one of the Mission best. Impossible is amazing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. Love Mission Impossible. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would go to a oh, Mission yes. Impossible Fantastic. convention. Uh, <laughs> I know. There's got to be like a spy convention, Mission Impossible convention Ooh. somewhere. It might be like Mission Impossible slash like Get Smart or something yeah, like that. Totally. There's got to be one. There's got to be one somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I love tell it. us about Star Trek. Well, the Star Trek stories. Okay. So production companies, they live and they die by original programming. And one project that was pitched to Desilu was a sci-fi show by Gene Roddenberry. Lucille first thought that Star Trek was about celebrities doing USO shows to entertain soldiers and took on the project. Uh, now, CBS passed. So Roddenberry pitched it to NBC and they ordered a pilot to be produced. Now, the budget was really expensive for a show. I mean, it was a high flying adventure. But when Lucille learned what the show was really about, <laughs> she was fully on board and she overruled her own board of Desilu directors to have one episode made Whoa. with the extravagant budget. Now, when NBC saw the first episode that they made, they rejected it. They ordered a recast and they ordered some reworking. They thought the episode The Cage was too cerebral and audiences wouldn't get it. This brought William Shatner on board to play Captain Kirk. Lucy once again defied her board and gave them the financing that they needed to rework the pilot, recast it, refilm it, and give it back to NBC. Star Trek aired in 1966, and former studio executive Ed Holly said, quote, if it were not for Lucy, there would be no Star Trek today. Oh, and I love that snap. Story. Oh, snap. So it literally is yep. Lucy saves Star Trek. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. <Yep. laughs> there is so much. There's so much Star Trek out there right now. <laughs> I know. It's not going away. And I love all the incarnations. Uh, of Star Trek. And I actually love it when it's too cerebral. So, the, you know, when I saw that comment, I'm like, it could be more so. It could be. <laughs> That's my favorite part of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, here's something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Lucille got married again. She did. I, I was surprised this. about this, too, actually. So she got married a second time to Gary Morin, who was a comedian, and he worked for the famed Borscht Belt of resorts in the Catskill Mountains. So Lucille starred in the Broadway musical Wildcat in 1960 and met Mr. Gary Morin. They were introduced by one of Lucille's longtime friends. Now, Gary Morin worked nights, and he claimed that he'd never actually seen Lucille's famous show, I Love Lucy. It went on for six years, and he's never seen her show. Like, that's kind of impressive. He works a lot. It's possible. I mean, if if he's always on uh, like a vaudeville circuit or a comedian circuit, he is working nights. Oh, yeah. So it is possible. And there was no reruns in like when they met in 60, there was no reruns. Right. So it's possible. Yep, it's possible. (laughs) Weird, but possible. Weird, but possible. Yeah. (laughs) So Gary was actually 13 years younger than Lucille, and there was apparently rumors that he was a gold digger. So he actually signed a prenup to to stifle the rumors before he and Lucy... Lucille got married on November 19th, 1961. Now, this is again approximately a year after meeting them. So she's kind of a 
quick decision maker on this. She is. And um, she likes the younger ones. She does. Desi was she does. younger than her, too. Ooh, I forgot <laughs> yep. about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Gary gave up his nightclub career after marrying Lucille, which was actually at her request. He became a producer of her television shows, and Gary became very active in Lucille's professional career and even appeared in a few of her shows. He was also a warm-up comic for The Lucy Show in 1962, and he was content with his role as Mr. Lucille Ball. So, in 1967, Desilu actually sold to Gulf and Western, which, again, I will explain in more detail in just a bit. Now, Gary helped form Lucille Ball Productions to allow her to have more of a free hand in television production. Now, Gary served as executive producer of Here's Lucy and was co-executive producer of her ill-fated 1986 series called Life with Lucy. But before we dig deeper into all of that, Leah... Tell us more about her children. Yeah, I I loved learning about her kids because a lot of times um, growing up, I would watch uh, documentaries either about comedians um, and I would see the kids. I would see the grown up kids talking about, you know, their their mom and dad. Now, Lucy's kids were no stranger to TV stages. Uh, both her real life kids, um, Lucy Arnaz and Desi Arnaz Jr., they were on an episode of I Love Lucy as spectators. They continued in the Lucy show and they did five episodes. Now Desi uh, actually had a character name as Billy where Lucy played various roles over six episodes. Now for Lucille's next show, Here's Lucy, she wanted to spend more time with her kids. Kind of like she wanted to spend more time with Desi (laughs) for the first show. Working with them is one way to do it. It worked, right? Exactly. Yes. So she gave them full-fledged characters. So the premise of the show was that the family moves to Los Angeles and Lucy Carter takes a job at a talent agency. And of course, hilarity ensues. That's usually how all of these end, but that's that's the crux of it. So the show, just like I Love Lucy and The Lucy Show, aired for six years. Six seems to be a very kind of magic number as far as television production for her shows. Now, Desi Jr. did have to leave halfway through the show because his film career was really taking off. He was also a pop singer. He had a band, Dino, Desi, and Billy, and they had a couple of top 40 hits. Wow. And they toured with the Beach Boys. What? Right? Who knew? Exactly. So he basically was like a solid mix of his parents? Yes. He was music and performance. Yes, exactly. That's impressive. Right. We'll get this. So he actually had many TV and film credits to his name, but there was one that jumped out at me and kind of pulled at my heartstrings a little bit. He took a role in the 1992 film Mambo Kings, where he played his father. Aww. Yeah. So there is, because the Mambo Kings is about the real-life Castro brothers who toured with Desi Arnaz oh, as the Mambo Kings. That's when he was away all the time. So, uh, so Desi Arnaz Jr. played Desi Arnaz senior in the 1992 film Mambo Kings. Oh, that's I thought that was really sweet. cool. <laughs> 
Isn't that sweet? So now, uh, Lucille wanted to end her show in 1974. So she was, she just wanted a break or she wanted something different. It's, you know, it could have been either way, honestly. Um, so what she did is she set up for the last few episodes to be a spinoff for her daughter. So the Lucy Arnez show was actually going to have Vivian Vance in it, but Vivian was actually diagnosed with breast cancer and the show wasn't picked up by the network. However, 11 years later, there was a Lucy Arnaz show and it aired for six episodes. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's how the kid's career kind of uh, got started, maintained and uh, and developed throughout the years. That is impressive. That's really cool. Yeah. So as you guys may recall, I told you in the very beginning of this episode that I saw the I Love Lucy doorway and learned about her at Paramount Studios. Um, But I kept asking how this whole time I was researching, how did she end up at Paramount when she was working under Desi Lu? So I'm going to tell you guys, because this was really bothering me. I just, I couldn't figure it out. I saw her door. I saw the archway. It was just iconic. I was like, there's no way they moved it. There's just, what is going on here? So I'll break it down for you, because this was super helpful. After Lucille and Desi divorced, Lucille bought out Desi's half of Desi Lu, which we already know. So in 1967, Lucille agreed to sell her television company to Gulf and Western, which we also already know. Now, what we don't know yet is that Gulf and Western acquired Paramount Pictures. Now, the company was renamed to Paramount Television, which was also the former RKO main lot. So Desi Lu bought out RKO, then Gulf and Western bought out Desi Lu, which became Paramount Pictures. So it's just kind of all is this one big conglomerate of entity. Right. But it gets them all in the same spot totally. and all under the same umbrella label. Right. right. And if exactly. you've ever been in the town of Hollywood, you can see how like compact everything is. Like it's not a big town. Yeah. Square mileage. Right. It's not very big. So, like, there was different lots right next to each other, and it's not surprising that they were able to just kind of merge, literally merge their lots, because they were right next to each right. other. So there's actually, um, because of that, the old RKO Globe logo is still in certain places, and now the company is called CBS Television Studios. Mm-hmm. So Perfect Film purchased Desi Lu Studios, and I mean, it was just like, oh my goodness. So all of this stuff. So now when I visited Paramount Studios, I saw the famous doorway in the lawn. And our tour guide said that Lucille was the first person to start a nursery on the studio lot since she had her kids while being on the show. They, she also said that there's still a nursery there. And it's there to honor her. Now, I couldn't find anything online, like anything online to back this up. Mm-hmm. But it is what I recall hearing from a tour. So regardless, I think it's pretty cool. Like there's, she... Yeah, it sounds right to me. Yeah, and she she pointed to the lot. She's like, oh yeah, there's kids that play over there still today. And they, we, <laughs> like you can see Lucy's um, old dressing room and the archway and all this stuff it's like oh it's like lucy's presence was still there which was really really cool i love that now after selling desi lu 
Lucille established her own production company, which was called Lucille Ball Productions, and that was in 1968. Now, the company went to work on her new series, Here's Lucy, which Leah just told you about, so that's how that got made. It wasn't actually Paramount slash Desilu at that point. Now, what was also filmed under Lucille Ball Productions was Life with Lucy, which was Lucille's last attempt at television, and unfortunately, it was a flop. Only eight out of the 13 episodes were aired before ABC canceled the series altogether. It was so bad, unfortunately, that even in 2002, TV Guide named Life with Lucy the 26th worst TV series of all time, which is... pretty bad (laughs) and tv guide loved her she was on the cover of tv guide all the time yeah Yeah. now the producer aaron spelling was the first to learn of the show's cancellation by abc he decided to tell gary instead of lucille and gary decided to not reveal the news to her until after the taping had ended until they had finished recording all their episodes It makes sense. It does make sense. And that was very sweet of him because she was devastated, understandably. She was so devastated and to the point where she never again attempted another series or feature film. There was interviews with other TV appearances, but they, they weren't many. And Lucy's last public appearance was as a presenter at the 1989 Academy Awards telecast. In which she and fellow presenter Bob Hope were giving a standing ovation, which is great. And she didn't say the wrong now she didn't say the wrong one. <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. That's Classy. probably the that's probably the only reason No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yay. But <laughs> that good. that was the last time she was seen in the public eye was at the Academy Awards. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Well, and and the reason why is she was having heart trouble, actually, as well. Um, she went under the knife for open heart surgery, and she seemed to have been doing well. Everybody was in well spirits. Uh, they were also sending her, you know, cheerio, you know, hang on there, Lucy. You know, you can do it. We love you. A week later, she arose early in the morning, and she was having severe back pains, and she lost consciousness. At 77 years old, Lucy's heart ruptured and the world mourned. Now, in the documentary Finding Lucy, Carol Burnett tells the story of how ever since they worked together, Lucy would send Carol flowers on her birthday. Well, Lucy died on Carol Burnett's birthday, and yet flowers still arrived later that day. I thought that was like such... A heartbreaking story. Absolutely. Yeah. I was oh, like, my goodness. I, w- <laughs> I watched the documentary first before, and then I was like, Leah, this is great. And but it ends on a sad note. Like it's so good, but it's so sad. It gets it's very sad. I was like, we're like, because oh, you go through every single. I mean, either watching that documentary or studying Lucy, you go through every single emotion: right, happiness, laughter, heartbreak, jealousy. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, everything. It's amazing all the emotions you go through. But then and then it, when you get to the ends. end of her life, you're like, that can't be it, right? <laughs> it ends so sad. It's like no, but wait. But no, that's that's it. All right. I, I guess we'll all right. right. <laughs> I guess I guess what's left is what we learn from her. Right, exactly. Well let's do legacy first though. Totally. Cause what 
what legacy do you think Lucy wanted to leave behind? Because she did a lot. She did a lot. I I think that she grew up in not quite the happiest household. And she wanted to have the picture-perfect life. And she wanted to leave behind, like, happiness and not the illusion of picture-perfect, but, like, just the idea that things can be good. She wanted to leave behind this feeling of goodness in people. Like, not just funny for the sake of funny, but, like, I think she... The fact that she thrived under an audience and actually getting the um, feedback kind of just shows to me that she wanted to leave behind like good feelings towards the audience and and wanted to get genuine reactions out of people. And then, yeah. And then of course the legacy of her children, like helping them thrive and do whatever they wanted to do in their life. Yeah. Giving them an opportunity to, to start and leave a legacy as well. Absolutely. I caught it. I really thought about it because there was a lot of different ways that I could, you know, uh, theorize. I, I think she wanted to leave behind good television. And I wouldn't say just comedic television because she chose to produce st- shows like Star Trek and Mission Impossible and Mannix. Um, I, I think uh, it wasn't just comedy. Now, she was amazing at comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was truly gifted and she worked really hard uh, to connect to the audience and to make them laugh and cry and to see a little bit of themselves in zany situations. I also think she connected to audiences because she needed them oh, yeah. and they needed her. Um, so uh, some say, you know, oh, um, a lot of comedians will do this for attention. Uh, you know, they need somebody's attention and comedy is a way to get it. I personally don't see that with Lucille. I think she needed to feel the audience's energy and use that fuel to be able to give back. Totally. And I also think this is why film didn't work for her because it lacked that instant personal engagement. And I think she really did um, need that. And I think that that is a gift. It really is a gift. That and hard work. (laughs) Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, what did you learn from Lucy? Well, I learned that being persistent, for one, is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Fame doesn't come on a whim. You look at people like Lucille and you're like, oh, yeah, she was just born famous. Like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it usually works, you know. But also, she had to work very, very, very hard to find her niche. And I find that is very inspiring and very, like, it's very heartwarming to me. And because... I feel like... um, It's like everybody's got time. It buys you time is what it does. I feel like a Mm -hmm. lot of people I talk to are like, yeah, but I don't really know what's my thing. It's like, I know what's my thing because I searched for it for years. And now it's like Lucille Ball didn't know what her thing was. And she made 32 Mm -hmm. films and like she had to go through all of this stuff before she got to where she was. And now you know her name, you know? So it's like, I feel like... I learned that like embracing who you are can still take time, but it's also mm-hmm. worth it. And yeah. all and also it's the journey. It is. And to embrace like what is actually your niche. Like she once she found it, yeah. she stuck with it. And that's it's very wise, I feel like. Yeah, she became the master at it. 
Oh, Once yeah. she kind of found that, she's like, I'm a master this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do this. Right. <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I, I learned four things from Lucille Ball. Um, perseverance as well. Ambition, loyalty, and craziness. So, I mean, I kept thinking, how many times could Lucy have walked away or given up? I mean, 65 movies and no big break, right? Oh, yeah. That's perseverance. Oh, yeah. She was on TV for 22 years with a variety of her shows. That's ambition. Um, and when she wasn't on TV, and I think even when she was, um, she was the first female head of a TV studio. And I don't think she saw that as ambition. I think she saw that as an opportunity to create more TV for herself and for others. But it was ambitious at the same time to take on, you know what I mean, that much of a leadership oh, yeah, role. Totally. There's nothing wrong with ambition. She just did what work needed to be done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but loyalty. So loyalty was, a, a, it was a big one for me uh, researching her. When Lucy and Desi ran Desi Lou, they would call the company family and they would say, come join the family. And they would have picnics. They would basically have Desi Lou company family picnics. Oh, yeah. um, family is another way of embodying loyalty. And so when Lucy decided on a show, she stuck with it and she stood up for it. And she got as many family and friends on board as possible with every single show. So from like behind the scenes uh, to the TV screen, she showed us the people that she loved. Totally. As well as, you know, giving us a chance to love her as well. I love that. And then, yeah, she gave it back to us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, the craziness. So now I didn't put this together um, until later in my life when I saw Robin Williams. He was doing a comedy special in, it was in 1978 and it was at the Roxy Theater. I didn't see it in 78. I saw it later on videotape. Um, but when he said this, I understood not only Robin Williams, but I understood Lucio Ball. He said, you got to go full tilt bozo because you're only given a little spark of madness. And if you lose that, you're nothing. So that spark of madness, that shenanigans, those stunts. um, Now, I couldn't do those. (laughs) And on the surface, they seem just funny, right? right? But subconsciously, it shows bravery. It shows mistakes. It shows that it even in our sparks of madness, people still love us. So if Lucy didn't embrace that little spark of madness and let herself go full tilt bozo, the world would be a very different place. Oh, yeah. And that's what I really learned about Lucy. So I love the craziness. That's so awesome. <laughs> and funny faces. <laughs> her funny faces are just yes. the best. They really are. And they come from a total place of honesty and reaction. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, no filter. Let your face react how your, you know, how your mind is feeling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for us. Now, clear the line, because next week, Ernestine will be wondering, is this the party to who I am speaking? Lily Tomlin is next. In the meantime, we leave you with this quote from Lucio Ball. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. For more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. 
We love our patrons and offer exclusive perks and behind-the-scenes access for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.